Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 79, and I'm pleased to be here today with Jennifer Mulligan. It is, uh, we're recording this on another hot August day, August 26th, and hopefully by the time the episode goes uh, online that for you to listen to, you'll be sitting in a cooler place than we are right now. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Amanda. How are you? Pretty good. Well, all things considered, how about you? How are you doing? I'm dying of the heat, uh, surviving the pandemic, and um, yeah, just working. It's just it seems like very busy. Like summer just never slows down. So it's just it's not a it's not a, it's not slowing down at any point in my life. So it's all good though. I, I realize that I spend so much time on on on, on computer and, and computer devices these days. My eyes are starting to really feel it. Like my optometrist is going to enjoy seeing me when I ever go back <laughs> back to her. To uh, my optometrist's name is Crystal, so it's sort of an interesting. Uh, oh, that's interesting. very interesting. Yeah. All right. So I guess what I'd like to I I, I used to read. I say this at the beginning of all the episodes. Now I used to read uh, people's bios uh, for them, but now I've decided to make the the. Uh, uh, my guests do more of the work. So what I'd like to ask you is what would you like listeners to know about you? Yeah, so I'm very much a new filmmaker. I've made one short film. Um, I'm from the area. I'm from the Ottawa Valley, originally from the Quebec side of the Ottawa Valley, from a town called Shawa, Quebec. And, you know, I've lived, been living in Gatineau pretty much my entire adult life. Well, actually my whole entire adult life. And so, but I went to school for nothing related to arts. I went to school for business and electronics. And then, as you say later, like there, I know you prompted me, it was just like, you know, I've had a lot of stuff go on. I feel like learning is sort of my, my thing. And I happened to fall in love with making films and screenwriting and other writing too, like along the way. But I think that that's where I prom- you know, primarily focus my energies now is screenwriting. And I created my first short film through a mentorship program and that was released in 2017 and I'd had other short films made from my work which was really fortunate and uh yeah that's me and I've got a couple of projects on the go we can talk about that later all right that sounds good and, and I'm going to put uh, Jennifer's uh website she's got a beautiful website up on up on our uh, our list of links for the smallmachinetalks.com and it's jennifermulligan.com which is which is cool that you were able to get that uh domain name because it's sometimes it's hard I got mine too but uh you know so had it for a long time like I think I scooped it like 20 years ago like yeah, I scooped yeah. it super early yeah uh, yeah I got it really early because I wanted it and uh, it was available at the time. So I just, yeah, I just keep paying my, my money every year. So, <laughs> and it's a beautiful site too. I highly recommend oh, thank you. people go up there. So you've, as, as you've, as you've sort of started to talk about, you've had a lot of different vocations and occupations in your life from model to artist and poet to filmmaker and cybersecurity expert, which is, which is already making you sound like a spy. So that's fun. 
Uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that part of things, but we are going to talk about more about film and writing and things of that nature. So do you remember the first film that really excited you? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. I don't know if there was one film. I mean, obviously, I have that pivotal first film, which was Bambi, when, you know, the mother yeah. dies and, ah, uh, like, I was five. And, you know, oh, I think that, <laughs> you know, it was my first film. And I had this sort of memory memory of it, still see it in the theater. And then shortly thereafter, I also saw, like, it was another Disney movie, it was the, the Jungle Book. And... It's funny, I have these like vi vi very vivid memories of things that happened during those like experiences of watching films. And I think that that's like where it goes back to, and obviously growing up in the seventies and eighties film and TV was, was it. And, you know, right. growing up in a rural community, you didn't get a lot of like, you know, theater experiences or things you had to, you know, travel and we didn't really travel a lot. So um, watching film and TV was how I experienced the world. And so I think, you know, part of it is like being open to films. And I remember, um, I remember seeing a lot of films in the nineties. I think that's when I moved down here to Ottawa or Gatineau and then went to school and, and uh, started hanging out in the arts communities and started working at Wallach's and started meeting artists. And I started going to saw video at the time. Now it's called dark and uh, you know, seeing their work and be influenced by them and sort of going, why can't I do that? Like, what, like why, why am I, why was I going to school for business? Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, so in your early twenties. And so just, I went and did a bunch of courses at Saw and I met a bunch of people and yeah. And then, so I think it was just sort of an accumulation of a lot of things. I think one of the first films that I absolutely became obsessed with was The Last Unicorn, uh, you know, back when I was 10. Uh, I think it came out that summer and, or it was actually, I think it came out when I was eight, but I watched it like I rented the video like a thousand times the summer I was 10. I remember watching it just over and over and over and over and over again. So it feels like that's like where I where I knew at that point is where I wanted to go. And I I even I've I have even found writing of mine from when I was a kid where it's temporal writing. So it's like it looks like characters talking and there's like time shifts and stuff. Whereas yeah. like I didn't know what a script looked like to save right. my life, but I had read plays, right? So in, in elementary school and stuff. So I think I was just sort of making it up, <laughs> you know, and then not realizing that I could actually do this, you know, that this was a thing that I could actually pursue. So, you know, I went down to like business and other things, you know, along the way. So yeah. it's kind of amazing how um, like uh, those, I think you were saying, I, I was listening to another interview that you did. Uh, was it Writers and Fighters? <laughs> that was yeah. Writing and fight that was pretty, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, I you know, I get distracted by 10 million. <laughs> but I was really interested to learn that you, um, you kind of, you happened upon a screenwriting book and that kind of set everything in motion as far as uh, screenwriting and stuff. Yeah, at the Writers Festival where we both frequented, obviously. Yes. And uh you know, I think that it was, it was some random afternoon. I had missed the event that I wanted to go to and I walked him to the book table and there it was, it was looking at me and I was like, what? So I picked it up and, and, you know, devoured it that night. And I was like, why am I doing this with this with my life? Like, what am I doing? Like, I, I've loved film in my whole life. Like, why am I not doing this? So that's where I just sort of, I just started. And as soon as I kind of made that decision, it was really, um, it just a bunch of things kind of happened, right? So it's it's like that's I think if you put the intention out there and things start to come into your purview that allow you to pursue the things you want to do. Yeah, I believe that too. I I, I find that about like 
for me, I was always writing, but I never thought about being a writer um, really at all. And, and it was being in Ottawa that because there's, there's already was a strong literary community when I started in like 2000 that I started to like, I hadn't, I hadn't really been thinking about that um, as, as something I did. I just did it like, like I breathe, I write kind of thing. I never thought of it as anything more than that. So that's interesting. I, I was, it's funny about first movies that um, for me, I think those Disney movies were the big, the big uh, deal as well. I remember really uh, um, identifying with Maleficent as an early age, which is sort of already very telling, but my, we used to, in, in, um, in Etobicoke, my sister is 10 years older than me and she used to take me to the movies in this, um, this movie theater in Etobicoke. And the thing at the beginning is that all the kids got up on stage and they played music and there was dancing. And she always wanted me to get up on stage. And I was like, no way. Like I would have swore if I was you know, allowed to, but I probably didn't. I did it, but not, not in front of people that were adults. But uh, yeah, so that was, but I, we went there like pretty much every weekend and watched mostly Disney movies. And it was the colors that really excited me, right? It was like- Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, I had older siblings too. And I think yeah. I got to see movies that I wouldn't like, my parents were of a different generation, right? So they yeah. were like almost two generations above me. So like my my siblings were really like the older aunts and uncles that were closer to my age that sort of, you know, did the cool stuff and I got to hang out with and stuff. So um, yeah, so they got uh, like, they took me to all kinds of movies like Gremlins, Last Unicorn, <laughs> Bambi, Jungle Book, uh, like all kinds of stuff growing up and just like, um, you know, and even like, even like movies that were well ahead of what I should have been watching at the time, <laughs> you know, my brother and I were kind of laughing and I was trying to remember what movie he took me to see, but I remember being like 13 or 14 and he wanted to go see this movie. So he's like, okay, just, you look older, just like, we'll, we'll get you in, don't worry. But it was some like, either a rated movie or whatever it was, adult accompaniment kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so we went in to see movie. We couldn't, we couldn't for the life of uh, either of us remember what it is, but it was just funny that, you know, he wanted to go and I was hanging around with him. So he got me in. <laughs> So my sister and, and her, uh, I can't remember, fiance, husband, whatever, uh, at the time when I think I was 17 or 16 or something. And they took me to see Magic, which was a, which was an R rated movie. And with I think I think maybe Anthony Hopkins was in it or something. Anyway, I just remember it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see an R rated movie. <laughs> And then I was disappointed because it wasn't particularly, it was just a bit gory. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't right. art because of, of sexy, which was a shame. I would have enjoyed that much more, but. Uh, funny. Yeah. And like growing up with an older, with yeah. older parents too, I think like they were involved, but like their, their idea of what constituted good art and what constituted good TVs and movies wasn't my idea. Right. So, no. you know, stuff will be on, like, I remember, <laughs> I remember having like a sleepover with my cousin and I think my best friend and like we watched like Friday the 13th my parents were like why are you watching this garbage like <laughs> yeah so it's like it, it, you know and back then that was the big that was big rage and you know it just it's right. just funny how like you know they wanted to watch like Bonanza and stuff and like oh, you yeah, know. Yeah. my mother and I used to watch my dad was doing shift work so my mother and I would be up late watching like we watched King Kong and stuff like that and I love that. Like it was great. We we but all these black and white movies. We we must have watched Mrs. Miniver like a bunch of because that their war era, you know. So um, yeah, all those sort of old but the old black and white movies are what I sort of I developed a taste for that a bit with my mother because she uh, she was of that generation as well. So where sometimes I hear young people today say, "What's a black and white white movie?" You know. So that's kind of 
<laughs> yeah. I as well. Yeah. So, and and so you you you're drawn to in your work the short film or you're you're making uh, short films. So can you talk a bit about that about your favorite short film or favorite or some short films that you? Yeah, I you know when when I when I was thinking about it like in 2012. I had, I had left my occupation for a period of time. And I don't know how I found this film, but I stumbled upon it. It's from 2010. And it's called uh, Invention of Love by Andrei Shushkov. Um, and it was just so beautiful. It's like it very much a cinepoem to me, like very much like there's no dialogue. It's all told in visual style. It's a silhouette piece, which means it's vowel backlit. It's got this beautiful story of a man, of like a city man who goes to the country, finds this woman, they fall in love. He takes her back to the city. And because she's used to clean air and open spaces, she kind of suffocates under the, under the pressure of the city. And it's very, very stylized too, which I really love. And then yeah. she ends up dying and he recreates her in a machine because the entire city is all made of metal and machines. And so wow. he recreates her. Yeah, it's just... Like, it's such a tragic story. And I like, I think I was just glommed onto it for like a month. I don't think I watched anything else for like wow. a month because I just think it's like, it just expressed so much without saying a thing. It was all in visuals. And I was like, wow, like, wow, wow, wow. Like, I get it. Like some people do it effortlessly, but this just seemed like a masterpiece to me in this short film. And it's so short. It's just very, very short. That sounds great. I mean, that's 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 poetry too, right? I mean, that's, it is, that's yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, which is a, another a conversation for another day, perhaps. If we can <laughs> yeah. Um, so, do you have a general vision or specific point of view that you want to articulate through film? Yeah, I think there's. I think there's definite like my interest lies in telling women's stories, telling perspectives yeah. of women, telling perspe telling hard perspectives that nobody's seen before or nobody wants to talk about, and just, you know, coming from like middle-aged white lady, like I know, you know, it's it's just, uh, it's just not always like, not the most interesting story, but I think there's still a lot of women's issues and women's stories that um, resonate with a lot of people and just resonate, you know, like the, you know, all the situations we're facing, like feminist perspective, you know, yeah. looking at, looking at stories from a women's point of view, like, and just the male gaze of stories like, um, all I've been watching for the past 18 months are feature films by women filmmakers. So oh, it's, yeah, it's a definite shift. Like I, I don't feel compelled to, I don't feel like I'm missing out on no. the blockbusters or the, the big shows or like, I just don't feel like I'm missing out. I watch a lot of TV when I'm, when I, when there's no features for me to kind of take in, but right. I really feel like, yeah, I really feel like that's what I want to explore. And it's funny, I'm in a writing group and you know, I presented a script, I presented script pages to review. And I think, I think one or two people commented, like, that's the first time they'd ever got a script with no men in it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I didn't purposely said, I'm not purposely setting out to do it. I'm just writing from the other foot, you know, I'm writing from the other perspective saying like, scripts with all guys in it, here's a script with all women in it. And here's the story. And so I think that that's, you know, that's where I kind of, fall in terms of you know and just intimate stories and big big stories too of like you know love and loss and all of that stuff but really looking at it from a woman's point of view well that's great count me i, I watched them all i, I love that <laughs> of course there's uh 
um, Nomad Land, which was the big movie that uh, yeah. Chloe Zhao and uh, they, that was that was such a beautiful movie. I love that one. And I've been yeah. watching a lot of those too myself. I I try to be, but you have to. I find it really funny. You have to be really uh, mindful in seeking them out. Like it's so there's so much. I I have to say I find that men's voices drown out what's available from women and I, 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 you have to really curate and go looking for it and highlight and uh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a difficult thing. I've signed up for the Women in Hollywood newsletter. Okay. So I was a supporter of the newsletter when it was free and then it became a paid subscription this year. I think it was 50 bucks US for the year, but it's right. like a curated list every, every week. I get That's like great. highlight, I get the weeks, so I get, you know, the sort of the, the recap on Fridays. And then I'm also in the women in film, or sorry, women in Hollywood um, group on on. It's kind of like a social networking group, but it's a private networking group. So you know you can go in there, you can tap into resources there as well. Just you know, really creative, courageous women making all kinds of really cool stuff. And so focusing the lens away from sort of mainstream stuff, like I love it all, but I'm just focusing right now on that and sort of making that my priority. And it, yeah, you're right. Like, I think at one point I was looking for something to watch. It was like in the middle of the winter and I went on the Cineplex app and um, I couldn't find any, any movies that I could watch, like new movie, new releases made by women. So, you know, I think it's like, it's part of the, it's part of the shift. I think that we're seeing more and more come online, but maybe it's not quite happening as fast as, you know, we would tend to believe. So that's it. That's it. I've been I've been trying to get hold of Deepa Mehta's Elements trilogy, and I, I managed to get one from the public library, but I cannot get like it's just like frustrating to. And I could I could easily watch a Marvel comics movie, you know, streaming anywhere, and yeah. you know, just not interested in that first of all. But uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's really hard to get. Um, get movies um by women and, and to hear about them and i have i do you uh, know about letterboxd.com yes. i love that i and i made all kinds of lists on there including lists of films by women i i love lists so i've got so i try to keep up with stuff like that and share my lists and look for other other people's lists and so it's a good way i mean i i love a good i love good films too i i i one thing about a film is it, it i like the idea of a short film because i tend to um i tend to get like long attention span sometimes is hard these days so uh, yeah that's although I, I in a way I find it you have to actually a short film packs so much like like I was when I was looking at yours for instance which we'll get to but <clears throat> excuse me there's so many elements going on there like you can really focus on all kinds of different things like light and all these different things so there it's I, I don't even find like there's a lot to pay attention to in the short film that I think maybe I might miss in a, a longer film because you know there's just it's just you have that concentrated it's like the sugar right. cube in the absinthe or something right it's, it's right very intense and concentrated so um so you've you've had to collaborate with other people in your work and um and uh, films in general involve uh, uh collaboration how do you find that process and are there people you work with um more than you've worked with more than once or we want to work with too if you want to talk about that i don't know but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all collaborative. Uh, I think that's the difference, like coming from poetry and coming from, you know, writing a couple of short stories here and there, where it's very solitary until you're presenting or until you're at, a, yeah. you know, at an event or something. Um, it's very solitary. You can go to a writer's group, like I was involved with Rob's group. I think you were in it as well at the same, at the same time, and Rob McLennan's group. And, um, you know, we were able to co 
you know, be com- like there was a camaraderie around us because we all kind of knew each other from the community. And so, but I think it's different in, in film and, and by extension television or any screen medium in the fact that you just present like the opportunity for other people to play and other people to bring their best work to it, right? So it's this is just like, here's my idea. And then people are like, oh, fantastic. Let's go off and make this thing. Producer, director, you know, set designers and artists and actors and this. So everybody gets to come and play. And I think that's the beautiful part of it. It's tough and it's hard to get something made because of money. But yeah. I think it's um, at the end of the day, I think it's like an, an invitation to play, an invitation to create art together. So to me, it moving from a solitary, more of a writing solitary position to this open collaborative it's a shift I think that uh, it takes time and I was hopefully open to it in the short films that I presented and that I got made I think like I kind of and you know I kind of handed off this thing and it became something different than I would have envisioned it as I wrote it but it became better and it went on to do better things than I probably would imagine for it right so it's like that's the that's the power of allowing other people into the sandbox essentially yeah no I, I I um Anytime I've, I've done anything collaborative, I've really enjoyed the process. Like I, I um, writing, um, that part of it is solitary, but once you try to publish, you have to work with a variety of people. Yeah. Gosh, I, I, every time I get a chance to work with an editor, which is rare, I, I feel grateful. And I've, I've been on the other side where I've done the edit, helped with editing, but uh, I don't often get the, the chance to be, and, and you, the idea is just to help the person uh, make their vision of what they what they want and like their intent. So it, I find that to be a really um, it's a it's a it's an enriching experience. If if I can help with that, I I love to. I I wish I could collaborate with with filmmakers. Actually, <laughs> be great. That would be fun. I am not up for for things like that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So what about uh, role models, influences, or, or or mentors? Can you can you do you think you have any uh, of those? And, and... Yeah, I was, you know, like kind of mining the stuff, you know, like what has sort of led me to here and who I've come in contact with. I think looking back, you know, and I I know it's going to sound like, oh, well, yeah, you know, she's a big filmmaker. But, you know, I had seen, I fell in love with the movie Strange Days for some reason by Catherine Bigelow. It was just, I think it was just the right time. It was the mid 90s. Again, it was that sort of very, very open, artistic sort of you know, weird time in history, moving from this sort of like, you know, bubble of the 80s to sort of more, more morose 90s, like, you know, the grunge music, all that stuff was coming up and like grittier, dirty, like the Matrix yeah. came out, like all of this stuff, right? So Catherine Bigelow, for sure, I fell in love with that soundtrack, like hands down to that movie. And I think I saw the movie a dozen times too. So like that movie. And then, you know, and I think it was just because, again, it, it didn't feel like, other movies of the same time it felt different and I think that's what I like about it these movies feel like they're like they're a notch different they could have something going on that it's kind of magical you can't quite figure out what it is but it's got this like perspective or this way of telling the story and then if I had to think of like from a Canadian perspective like um Ingrid Veniger from Toronto like you know I had watched her on TV as like you know a young actress uh she came up she's she's this fiercely independent filmmaker um loved her stuff just very you know like cinema verite with these characters and just like a handheld camera and she's got very tight crew and she uses her kids and all kinds of stuff in some of her Mm. films and it's just very um raw and very real and I think that there's like a real sense of of dynamic there's a real sense of of a a dynamic quality to her films that doesn't feel as like processed 
in terms of like their construct and their delivery. So, you know, I really feel like she's, you know, if I had to sort of point to somebody who I've seen in the past, like, you know, handful of years who I would sort of like try to like emulate would be like that kind of style. So I think her, yeah. Is there any particular film that you, um, can you think of of hers? I think it was Animals. Um, Yeah, it was Animals. Yeah, I think it was, anyway, just really, she presented it here through Digi60 uh back in i want to say 2014 and so it was just a really interesting interesting movie and uh you know asked a lot of questions about stuff and it got me thinking about stuff that's always a good movie when you know you leave and you're like you're talking about it with people it gets you like jacked up and excited and you're you're you know you're you're charged up about it because it's just got some questions that you're asking so yeah I really like um, Agnès Varda. I love her movies. Um, my favorite, Les Glaneurs et la Glaneuse, like Gleaners and I. I love that movie so much. Anytime that they have the, the, the Agnès Varda freely available, I, I'm like, I always, I try to try to watch her films. She's really interesting. Also, um, Arizona O'Neill, who is Heather O'Neill, the writer Heather O'Neill's daughter. She's a grown-up now, and she makes these amazing short films. She made this one. Oh, what is it? What was it called? It was called *Rigor Mortis*, and it was about. Um, it was basically she um, engaged with uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, said something stupid like, um, 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 uh, uh, "Seeing a, a, um, a portrait of a woman dying or something is the most be- most poetic thing," or some horrible horrible thing and she takes that and she like she goes to all the characters who've committed suicide and like madame bovary and all these and she does that it's fantastic and it's called rigor mortis but she's really interesting that's someone i'm following and i also love um isabella rossellini's green porno series i don't know i guess it's a series of i don't know are they films are they i I don't know but anyway they're great too what a sense of humor and and just uh and the way they do it like she's dressed up as different things like a dinosaur and all these crazy things and so yeah there there are a lot of interest there's a lot of interesting work being done by women in, in short film and film in general so uh it's yeah good. the ingrid's project is called the animal project that's that's the title of it i couldn't i couldn't recall animal it off the top of my head but yeah i haven't seen it in a while but yeah it's called the animal project okay well i, w- I will look that up. i'm, t- I'm going to try to put links to things as well um so what's your speaking we're still we're talking a lot about gender and so what's your experience of gender representation so far in in your um in- you know, like I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of guys, uh, obviously, who get stuff made, and I think that that's changing. I think that there's, I think there's definitely like an upswing of women. There's definitely more promotion for women, um, you know, and I think that women are getting bigger budget films, like on the big, on the, the large scale side. I think that there's, um, uh, you know, I certainly see a lot of young or newer filmmakers, or you know these collectives of women filmmakers making stuff. So I think that there's, you know, there's this, this surge happening of, of okay. female filmmakers yeah. only because I think we're all tired. <laughs> you know, yeah. we all want, we all want to make the stuff that we, that we don't get, that we don't see that doesn't make it through the cracks. So we're finding yeah. ways to make it happen through Kickstarters or seed and spark or, you know, any, whatever fundraising platforms or whatever, whatever. Right. So, I think we're, we're tired. We're trying to make stuff that we want to see for us, you know, that, um, that speaks to us that, you know, speaks to everybody, but that is made by us rather than speaks to everybody made by guys. And it's just, it's a different perspective. That's all it is. And it's just, it, it becomes pretty obvious when you're looking for a movie and you can't find one by a woman, like, where are they? Well, and to me, it's like, 
I see tons of women, tons and tons of women writing these amazing scripts, reading them, providing comments, notes, whatever. And for some reason, it's like they're it's hard to break through into this, like, into this, like, you know, fantasy land of making films because the budgets are this and I've worked with that. So I'll go with this person, which is, you know, which is a guy and like nothing, there's nothing against guys. Like they're, they've, they've been making films and rightly so they they've had the, the artistic and creative stuff, but it's time for other people, women and BIPOC and all kinds of people to have the same opportunities to see themselves portrayed and to see themselves portrayed authentically on screen without the lens of a guy. And it's yeah. just, you know, from a different perspective. And I think that that's like, that's part of it. Yeah, no, that that's, that's good. And, and uh, I think you've certainly been involved in, in helping uh, women too. And we'll talk about uh, that in a bit too. And what about film festivals? You've had uh, movies that you've been involved in have been at, shown at film festivals around the world. Can you talk about the role of film festivals? I find that very intriguing. Yeah. So, you know, film festivals are a bit like the writer's festival. <laughs> like, you know, you get all these crazy writers together or crazy artists together, you know, showing their films and, and it's, it's fun. I think it's great for um, meeting festival directors. It's great for meeting other filmmakers, collaborations. Uh, you know, I think making friends is what it's all about is meeting people who have, who share similar um, ideas to you and who share similar aesthetic, you know, artistic aesthetics as you and, and making sure that, you know, you can do something with that and make it happen. And I think that there's, I think there's so many film festivals. I think you have to be like, as a filmmaker, I think that there's, um, there's an opportunity to be selective in what you go to or what you try to go to, to then get your stuff, to then to get your stuff seen. So then it can sort of live and grow legs and sort of wander around film, other film festivals, right? So it's like, you want to sort of be, the unknown quantity that people discover. I think that's what I think I've heard it more and more, but like people want to be on the cutting edge of like the hot thing, the discovery, they want to be the first person to kind of like be a tastemaker on somebody's career. Right. So they're looking for those like standout pieces that then they can like offer up to some other festival or, you know, curate or do something with. What's, what's an example of, I know, because now we're doing everything virtually, I almost forget that people actually travel to film festivals. Because <laughs> yeah, for some reason, in my mind, everything's virtual now. And I can't forget, I can't seem to get over the fact that things were in the before times, things used to be done differently. But uh, so how, can you have an example of any film festival you attended and maybe uh, something interesting about the festival, like maybe someone you saw or, or some film you saw that you, you know, I don't know, some film festival-ishness. <laughs> yeah, um, like the first non-Canadian film festival I went to was the Lady Filmmakers Festival in Beverly Hills in 2013. Mm. My mom had just passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was feeling like itchy to travel and go to a film festival somewhere for women and just sort of like immerse myself for a weekend. So I just like on a whim bought a ticket, flew wow. down, went to the festival. It was fantastic. Made friends with the festival directors. And, uh, you know, a couple of pieces really stood out. And then the next year, um, local filmmaker asked me to put together a women, uh, a women's reel of films. So I accumulated all the films I had sort of seen and picked a couple from that festival. And uh, yeah, like, I think it's just, um, you know, they, so the Lady Filmmakers Festival in Beverly Hills really focuses on the woman as the creative force behind the enterprise of, of the film. And so, you know, there's really, there was just, I can't remember one off the top of my head, but like, 
there was just a whole bunch of real, like I was just sort of like immersed in women's stories all weekend. Right. And it, I think that that really, that really lent itself to um, understanding that it was an untapped market. They were still like, I think they were on year five and now they're like heading post 10. I think they're like well past. So yeah, like they're off to the races and doing all kinds of stuff. Interesting. But yeah, so they were still fairly new in the film festival circuit, right? They were still kind of building and uh, it was just felt really intimate. And, you know, like we had like, we had some executive from like HBO there and we had like, they were talking to us and it was in the right. lobby of like this thing. So it just felt very, you know, contained and intimate. And I think it was just the right thing for me at the right time. And I think that that's part of like, film festival culture is like, you know, you can go to a big one like TIFF and sort of take in the, the paparazzi of it all and the, the celebrities and stuff. But then there's also these like smaller ones that are very niche and, and but very, uh, very lucrative in terms of like your knowledge, in terms of what you're getting and uh, just making connections with people. Like there's someone I met there who I still keep in touch with. So like, that's like eight years ago, right? So it's like, you know, building your network of people and understanding that we're all here trying to make stuff. And I think that's the kind of the beauty of film festivals, like the Austin film festival that I had been going to pretty much every year. Um, I didn't, I haven't gone, I was sick in 2019 and then 2020, obviously uh, didn't go this year, probably won't go uh, just because of the state of what's going on down there. But um, uh, it's a real writer's festival too. So it, yeah, it's like four days of like a writer's conference. And so it really focuses on the writers the, as the, as the, primary creator of the of the of the enterprise of film you know so it's like it's really nice to focus on the writer and then there's obviously directors and stuff there too because it's who's showing all their films but the writer but the the, um, the conference is really about writing so it's really neat sounds interesting and do they have like workshops and things like yeah. that oh that's great that's really yeah. great yeah. yeah and they have a big uh script competition too and there's been a number of people from ottawa who have placed really? in either like uh, quarter, semifinal, final winners. Like there's, there's a couple of people I know placed in like their script competition as well. So it really kind of tries to find those diamonds in the rough again too, and sort of be that tastemaker for the next generation of, of storytellers. Yeah. I think Ottawa is a hotbed of creativity I, I think in many ways. And I think there's a lot of different arts and stuff that, that we sort of fly under the radar, but we're doing a lot of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Filmmaker Jennifer Mulligan. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, on your website, you've got, you've got a list of the films that you've worked on and you've had different roles for each. So um, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit. I, I, I got to watch it because they're short films. So I got to watch all of them without, uh, you know, without, anyway, I, that was terrific. And, and they're there. The links are there on the site as well, which I'll put up. So one of the films is, is death isn't the same anymore. Can you talk about uh the film yeah so that was that came out of my uh saw video jumpstart mentorship in 2016 i started that i put together the idea uh submitted and then it got accepted into the program so i started that in i want to say september 2016 taking a couple of courses like i'd taken the basic stuff but like the camera some basic lighting but i did more advanced like editing and and lighting techniques and stuff and then yeah so that film came about as a result of, again, my mom passing away that, that, that in 2013, I had seen, so I had seen her on her deathbed, right? And you always think about like these beds. I'd always had all of, I, we were going through my mom's house after she passed away and had all these beds, all these beds that I'd accumulated over the course of my life. She'd never thrown anything away. So I had my crib, but I had, and which had been passed down to me from other people. I had my child, one of my childhood beds, 
I had one of my adult beds and then I had um, this old, really old bed that I had purchased from my other, my dad's parents farm auction. It was a bed that they had presumably used at one point, but it was a child size bed. So I tried to sort of come up with some sort of linkages between that and her passing away and trying to sort of reconcile it all. And then I really wanted to kind of take, uh, take, you know, take from my poetry time as well that I had been actively or active in the poetry community and writing. So I created this cinepoem around, around the, the five, like these five or, you know, these, these stages of, of these beds throughout life. So that's really where, um, where that came from. And I remember getting the idea for it. And I remember talking with another filmmaker from Ottawa. I we went for a coffee one day and she was like, that sounds really fascinating. You should just do it. And that was like 2013. So right. like, it took me like three years to kind of like, I don't even know if it was like get up the courage. It was just like timing and like maybe just letting it simmer and percolate yeah. in my brain. And so, yeah. I love the various beds being shown and also the play with light. That was so interesting. It moves from gray clouds outside where the protagonist is digging at the soil to the sun through sheer curtains and reflected on the various beds on the floor to pitch black absence uh, of, of night at the end when she's walking on the soil. Like it's just, it's a beautiful it's a it's a beautiful film. and I I remember you know we talked about it and we, we yeah you, you showed me your um your 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 poetry as well for that so that was I enjoyed that too that was really interesting to kind of it's interesting to be part of a different media like in that way so it's a medium so I thought that was uh, that was uh so I guess I got a little bit more out of it because I had some of the background already yeah to the movie as well and you described the film as a cinepoem and and I says I said you use your own poetry for the character's monologue, what made you decide to do, do so? And how do you think a cinepoem might differ from other forms of film? I think it's, uh, I always wrote very brief. I always wrote very brief poems, very like imagistic. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Very curated words and visuals on pages. Typically I had written some. Um, so I really wanted to kind of just use that as like the compression of words and what that sort of means going through those stages, right? So I, I, I wrote it pretty quickly, but then I took a long time to edit. That was, I, you know, and then, and then again, like that going back to the collaboration, when we got into the studio to record it at Saw at the time um, with the actress, you know, we ran through it and it was interesting hearing her voice in my head as my voice, like trying to like picture how I wanted it to sound because I knew how I wanted it to sound, but then, collaborating with her it's like how does it sound coming from her and then so we did it like many many times we did right. all of the all of the lines many many times yeah. and uh I ended up using some first takes but typically it was when we kind of tweak something or when we dug a little deeper or when we you know kind of like and and then sometimes too I, I would edit slices of all of them together like I think one was like using all of the different takes and trying to you know like carve I was trying to carve sound essentially right that's what you know that's yeah that's what I was trying to like figure out like how do I how do I carve it in a way that makes it kind of line up with the visuals and so it really goes back to like all artistic mediums right like I, I really feel like it was it's a piece that I have to sort of like find the shape of right for that for the for the visuals and then when I brought the visuals on then it was then it was like piecing together the visuals that way and how do I want to shape the visuals and then it was like layering on because there's a few like words that float in and out of of the frame right so it's like then how do I layer that on top and so it's really like trying to like trying to carve and and do like strata all at the same time right you're layering all these pieces but you're also carving at the same time 
it sounds quite to me it sounds like an overwhelming challenge like just all these different <laughs> things going on at once like I mean I've just like as a as a total rank amateur I've 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 had to make little videos for readings and stuff and and you know Charles has operated our, our uh, whatever that little camera is um I can't remember what's called GoPro and uh you know trying to get these and then we'll see some stupid thing in the background like oh what's that doing there you know or or your head's like, you know, there's a tree above the head or some stupid. So like, there's just so many things going on, like to be able to be able to sort of focus on one particular element and just, I mean, it must take forever, I would imagine. So uh, it's a process. Yeah, it's, uh, and you know, like, I think it's a lot of it is in, is in the production and in the vision, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, right? It's like, how do you, how do you craft it? How do you craft yeah. that? production vision in order to get what you want out at the end because it could go horribly horribly wrong right <laughs> like it's just, you know any at any point it could all fall apart so like you know you have to kind of be very diligent in in terms of what you're trying to accomplish maybe not minding that things do fall apart I mean you, you know you have I think yeah uh, that's that's a hard thing too there's um I think of uh well I, I guess he's no longer local but uh, another person who uh, does uh, uh, well is the feat sort of creator one of the um, writers of cine poems is uh, Ian Ketakue who's done some really cool stuff uh, that they have been animated uh, cine poems uh, on the, another local uh, oh, well now uh, Jamal Jackson Rogers has also been uh, his poems have been uh, made into cine poems that are quite beautiful and uh, oh. amazing too so yeah I, I, I think it's it's like a kind of like um, one main thing, right? And then, and then you kind of, uh, you, you sort of, everything around it is sort of like, it's very minimal. Like if you can get one idea from this, this is what I want you to get. That's what I see. I write long poems, so mostly in poem series. So, you know, I need like, a, I need sagas and things. For, no, I, <laughs> but I mean, I love the short. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I love short poems too, just cause I, I I've written tiny poems and all kinds of different things. This is the phase I've been in for several, I don't know, for more than a decade now, I guess. So, um, and yeah, so I, I first encountered your poetry before any of your films, I encountered, read, heard you read, all those things. Um, do you think that writing poetry has helped you for purposes of filmmaking? Yeah, I think, I think, going back it's the brevity of using words especially in like writing and then crafting the moving image like because there's just not a lot of superfluous information and so I think my my uh aesthetic of writing poetry very much married up to the types of films that I wanted to make or that I still want to make or you know that I made so like I really feel like it's it's sort of a continue. It's a continuation of, of my poetry, essentially, but in a visual format. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, you talked about uh, the, uh, the saw being involved in the, there was a uh, based on, on a mentorship you received for this film. Can you talk about the mentorship and perhaps that for that you received for this film and maybe more generally like um, what you, you know, how you, first of all, how you went about finding out about these things and in case other people want to do something similar and just what the experience was like. Yeah, so now it's called the Digital Arts, uh, Digital Arts Resource Center. Um, it's uh, formerly Saw Video, now called Dark. And they're an artist-run, uh, you know, digital resource center. And so basically, I, I think I was a member, and then I knew of their program, and I wanted to make a first short film that was on a more professional level. So I applied. I think it was like 
April or May of 2016. And then in a few weeks, they had their jury or their, their selection process and they selected the participants. And then I, wor- I was paired up with uh, filmmaker and visual artist, Laura Toller. She was really great. Um, she obviously accomplished in her own right and very experienced. And so she really helped me craft um, primarily when I was thinking about it, like the length, like I had mine at like 10 minutes, I was going to do it all. And she's like, no, 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 no. I recommend you bring it down to half. Right. Like she was like, don't be too ambitious. Like, you know, <laughs> like, let's just be reasonable here. So I really feel like she's sort of like, she pointed me around the corners I hadn't seen yet in terms of what I wanted to do in my vision and really got me to think about like the package I was delivering. And so, and then she also helped me with the audio and uh, the visuals, sort of the pacing and the timing. She's also uh, a choreographer. Like she's also got dance and so she's about movement and motion and stuff. So, yeah. So I think that like she brought a lot to the table in terms of what my piece was. And I think that's why we were paired together. Like they tried to find mentors who were, who were, who would be of benefit to the mentees going through the process. It sounds like a great opportunity. And I'm going to make sure I include the link for dark. It sounds like yeah. the dark arts or something. I feel like it's like a Harry <laughs> Potter thing. I don't know. I it's still- a great, Oh, I was going to say, it's a great center and you know, they've got a full edit suite. They've got like an exhibition space. They've got like classes and courses. And I think it's like, you know, like I'm, I'm looking again to become a member just because of they were closed down over COVID and I let it last, yeah. but, um, but uh, you know, they, offer a number of different opportunities to be members now from like remote member to practicing members. And then, you know, it's a, and it's very community oriented. So there's like also a giving back component to it. We have a lot of great things like this in Ottawa. I think that, that like, um, yeah, like from, from photography point of view, there's the school of uh, photographic arts pow as well. Like there's a lot of different um, collaborative and, and community based and mentorship opportunities for, various arts in, in the city. And I, I'm really glad that they are in, in the national capital region. I'm glad they do it. Okay. Another movie that you, you, that you have, um, that you've been involved in as a writer is Algebra, A Reunion of Broken Parts. Can you talk about the film and also your role in the, in the movie? Yeah. So that was pitched as part of Digi60 in the fall of 2012. It was a, um, it was a response to me watching the tree of life by Terrence Malick. At oh, yeah. yeah. So I came home and I was all fired up and I want, you know, so, and when this came around, I wanted to pitch an idea and I did. And, and it just so happened that the filmmaker also had a similar, like the movie is about someone who loses their sight and this filmmaker yeah. also had a, also had an issue with his sight at one point that had been um, fixed, but um, and he, he resonated with it. So that's why he selected it to, to make. And it was, I had written it for a, a considerably younger protagonist who loses her sight and then deals with the aftermath of that right. with love interest and whatnot. Um, and uh, he decided to age the character up, which was a completely correct, you know, move for what the film he wanted to make. Right. And, uh, you know, I think it turned out really great. It was just Paul uh, was the director of that film. And uh yeah, I think that, you know, there's, um, there's something to be said, like, you know, I know that in poetry, there's also there's oftentimes response poems, and I got into that sort of mind, like you, like you read something, and it resonates with you. So then you respond to it in a way. And I really wanted to sort of explore that in terms of like, I saw this thing, and I loved it. And I, I was thinking about it, and it was rolling around in my brain. And then did you six to long? Okay, I want to pitch this as like my response to that. So I was really trying to sort of use 
another modality from poetry to sort of, you know, launch into a response in the film, in the film world. And what was it like working with a director for that? How did you find that experience? It was great. Um, he, he really took it and kind of ran with it all. And um, as my role as the writer, I was on set, but um, you know, he was, he was the driver of the ship. So right. yeah. You gave some material to work with and then they, they, yeah. how you have to kind of feel about it, I think, which is great. Yeah. I love, I love the sensual detail the artist who is losing his sight paints the eyelids of his lover and use blue. I love that. And then his breakdown, he destroys his work. He drives his lover away and puts his face against the broken mirror like that. Oh my gosh. Like that was a very powerful thing. It actually reminded me of um, Cocteau's Orpheus trilogy, which I responded to in, in my book Kiki. So, you know, that's uh, I felt I haven't uh, Cocteau uh, like his films. Like I really love those films. And I, I got a lot of Cocteau kind of, like there's a lot of something the tone in that was right there for me I, I love that and I love the idea of responding to film in in um, in poetry too like I'd love to do um, a response to things like Wings of Desire or something you know I'd love to do uh, something and if I have time I'll do more of that um, yeah so I guess I, I asked you but I think you've already answered where does your writing end and the role of others such as the director begin and how much say do you have in things I think you, we just kind of you have anything more to say about that or you yeah <laughs> Uh, it's different when it's like it's you know so when I did when I did death isn't the same anymore it was all me right so it's like the buck stops with me so yeah. like if I want to change a word or change this or like it's all me so I can just do whatever I want but like I think that's the difference in terms of like the collaboration medium and then the pure sort of artistry of of this video art that I was making in the cinepoem right like I had a cinematographer come in and help me craft the images but really when it came to the editing and the auditory and all of that stuff, it was really, I call the shots. Whereas if you're working as a screenwriter or any piece other than the director producer, maybe it's like, you know, you become, um, you become uh, um, part of it, but you're like, you're part of the fabric, but you're not sort of like crafting it in that kind of way. You're providing the, again, the, the launching point for the artistry yeah. to happen. And then, you know, in, in your own art, in your own way, and then everybody else gets to play with it. I think that sounds great fun. Like I, I, I would love that if anyone wanted to do that with anything I was doing and I would just be, I'd be happy to uh, let them do whatever they wanted to. Like I'm, I'm, I'm game for that. I don't, I don't, I don't have, I'm not stuck in my own. Cool. Well, well, let's talk. Okay. There you go. <laughs> this is the whole point. You see, this is the plan all along. My, 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 my <laughs> plan. This is what I do the podcast for. No, I, I'm just kidding. I, never you're very devious Amanda. yes i'm i'm very i'm machiavellian everyone knows this about me they say that about me all the time so full stop you're listed here as a co-writer talk about which is such a cool little film talk about uh, full stop oh. yeah so luca was was pitching or he wa he wanted to do something for digi 60 in this spring of 2012 and uh I guess he came up with an idea and he said, oh, can you help me? Like, you know, what do you think of this? So he said, okay, well, we'll work on it together and then you can be the co-writer and stuff. So yeah, we just, we kind of like, I think he had the general idea. He had this really cool location where those like abandoned streetlights were all housed from like the city of Ottawa or something. So I think we did it kind of guerrilla style. He just kind of, I don't even know, like he might've got permits. I don't know, but, <laughs> but I know that we kind of went and, and like, um, yeah, like I know we just kind of like shot it and like, I was there for a little bit. I think I had to go somewhere, but I was on set for for a little while anyway. But yeah, it really came together quickly. 
he was really skilled in editing and, you know, videography and stuff. So um, it was really just me coming in to kind of like, you know, uh, help him get to a script that he was happy with. So we talked about, we talked a lot about the idea and stuff like that. So um, yeah. And I think, I, I think I did a few of the visuals and then, you know, like, I think it was like, we talked about the idea of the streetlights and them changing from green to yellow to red and like what that meant in terms of the progression It's almost like going down an elevator, you know? So it was that kind of idea. I like that idea that you like, in some ways, like that's a brainstorming thing, right? You basically brainstormed and came up with, and then he took whatever he needed from that brainstorm. It sounds fun. I just, it just, um, I found it, it was such a short duration and so much is packed into it. It's one simple idea. He has an, a cyclist has an accident. The traffic light turns to stop and he sees a woman described on your site as a mysterious devil woman, which was great. She is smoking. She's wearing a blue skirt and jacket. And also, you know, that plays into the whole men. A lot of men have the smoking fetish, right? They love to see women smoking. They love to see a dominant looking woman, you know, and all that. stuff. So, yeah, I was there. I could see it all. She's wearing a blue skirt and jacket. Then she's by his side holding his hand. I mean, all kinds of things were were conjured up in my mind, like, who, what was this man? Why is the devil woman there? Is she going to escort him to hell? Like it's just again a very Cocteau-esque uh, sort of uh, unmythological thing. So uh, so yeah. so it's uh, and you've explained already um, um, about uh, how the movie came about and your your um, the director Luca Fiore and stuff as well. So I guess we've already covered the questions that I had in that. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, do you? Yeah, I mean, is was it? Um, did you it was a kind of an ongoing process where he showed you some of what he'd done and you made suggestions or did he kind of did you do all the brainstorming and then he just kind of went away and made it and then no we went back and forth a couple times i think yeah. on on the scripts uh and then i was on set so i think like i was involved yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's it's really interesting that that and and i think that's something that uh, maybe um, you know uh, people outside of maybe making filmmaking don't necessarily understand that the writer can play all kinds of roles within that. Even though right, you can be sort of writing part of it or coming in to consult on things. Or like, there's a lot of different possibilities within that, other than just say being the one who writes the the, the script and then you know it doesn't have to necessarily just like be that. No, no, no. Like there's lots of people who get paid just to punch up scripts, like big features and stuff, like just come in, like they're never known about, they're not on any like, you know, credit reel or whatever. They're just coming in to like craft the story in a better way. So it's a better product at the end. Right. And it's better emotionally or it's better like character wise or story wise or, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's funny when you do, when you, when you're sort of writing things more generally like poetry or fiction, I think that's a different, you think of writing as a different, you think of it as a more whole thing yep. as opposed to let's say like some commercial writing where you come in and you do certain things. And same yeah. with that it's very much a trade, right? It's like, it's yeah. like the trade of screenwriting, right? It's like, it's like there's the, there's a guild and you know, there's uh, there's, you know, there's a, like union is very supportive and I don't know. So it's just like, yeah, like it's just very, um, very trade-like in terms of you're, you're a worker and you know, you're paid to write, for the screen and so it's just yeah that kind of idea I've always I've always tried to maintain in my work that sense of you know there was always this talk about well you're an amateur you're a professional but I think you can show up as a professional even though you're not getting paid you can show up as if you were a professional like that's the whole game right is to show up like you want to get paid and then somebody will eventually pay you so otherwise (laughs) those are wise words 
Yeah. Like, and you know, he like, you can be, an, you can be a new filmmaker. You're not an amateur filmmaker. You're just a new filmmaker. And I think that there's like, you know, that there's something to be said for, you know, creating art is a continuum of learning and, and it's just, you know, you kind of step into the pool and then you kind of learn how to swim and then you're swimming across the ocean or whatever. Right. So it's like, you kind of just keep building on your craft. And I think that's part of it. And, and, uh, and there's definitely like, there's definitely a craftsmanship to what, to what screenwriting and, and directing and all of that stuff. It's a craft in terms yeah. of like it's construction. That's it. I like a craft and a trade. I think, I think that's very interesting. And, and a lot of that is applicable to just general writing and, and to poetry and everything else, even yeah. though like, I mean, like the thing is some people get upset when they say, um, you know, like for a poem, well, you know, you, you, you have your vision, but then how is it adapted in the world? And I, I'm all for whatever form of adaptation you can, you know, like, I, I like to think that I supply raw material and then it, it's, it's sort of taken by whoever a reader or whoever. So I don't yeah. have that worry of this precious, my work, my precious work, you know, no, forget it. Uh, that, that went out the window. Uh, I don't, I don't think I ever felt that way. So I just, I'm not worried about that. I'm not protective about my work in that way. I just, I want it to resonate for people in ways that resonate for them, not in the way I control it or. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's funny when, when I first started screenwriting and everybody's like, oh, you know, you got to get notes. Like everybody's going to give you notes. And I'm like, listen, I sat in like workshops with poets who are tearing yeah. apart your work, which is like your bearing of your soul. And like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like, I, I, question, they're questioning every comma and every word and every, I got it. <laughs> and you know. I was translator with revisors from the federal government. And if I, when I was freelancing, um, if you made uh, one major error, you lost your accreditation. So I was in fear. It was a horrifying experience. That's crazy. Those advisors, they really, like, they, at least back in the day, they, they really, uh, yes, that was a fun experience. <laughs> but yes, uh, you can't, we've, we've been ripped apart already. It's too late for us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the last film, you, well, uh, you also mentioned Mary May. So can you talk about your role there and also talk about the film, which is a great yeah. film? Yeah. So I was a writer on that film. It's, uh, it's about a nun who goes out on Halloween uh, as a nun. And then the next day she um, has a confession of God that she kissed a woman the night before. And she had sort of seen this person across the room, star-crossed, locked their eyes, had a passionate kiss. And that year in Digi 60 was 2011. And catch for that year was a passionate kiss um I think it was the passionate kiss that changed the life of the protagonist or changed the life of one of the characters I think there was something around that for my memory but um yeah so that was what I thought of and and I think that like I had been sort of I, I grew up in the Catholic church and I had left it many years ago um but still ties with it my I used to take my mom to you know, midnight mass and, you know, we'd go to weddings and funerals and everything. So still had connections to it, but didn't feel like affinity towards it at all. But um, uh, I'd sort of been, you know, uh, contemplating what I was doing with my life in 2011, leaving work for a period of time, uh, you know, seeing me as an artist rather than somebody who worked for the federal government. Could I be both? Like, I didn't know how to navigate that. So I think this piece really came out of like, the bubbling of that piece is in there, you know, being discovered by somebody who kind of gives you life outside of what you just, of what people think you are. Um, and then it, I had written it as a heterosexual piece, like to like a man and a woman, uh, right. a nun and a priest, like, and so when I pitched it, the director 
asked, like, you know, selected mine for Digi60. And then um, it was Christian LaRiviere. And then he, uh, he asked if like he could change it. And I was like, do whatever you want. So you know, <laughs> and I think, and I think the piece became better. It became a, oh, a, yeah. became a conversation around a different topic, right? Like I was doing this, like maybe seen before, maybe a little bit trite or whatever, you know? So, but then it became a different thing and it became a less about the sexuality of the piece and more about like the discovery of a person's own sense of themselves. Right. So yeah. I think it, it changed. Right. And that, I think that, again, that goes back to the collaboration and it goes back to what he had envisioned for the piece. And um, it got into like tons of film festivals because of it. It wouldn't have got in maybe on my version, but it got in for his version. Right. So I think I presented the piece. He changed it to fit what he thought and, and it did better than I could have imagined. So. Yeah, it's great. And also, I mean, the role of the church to do with um, issues about uh, homosexuality, for instance. So it's all, I think that did make it a bit more of a political yeah. piece in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly thought, I loved the nun's realization uh, that she had nothing to give penance for in her comment about the woman she fell in love with and the turning point of the character's realization, she saw me for real. Like that was, that was, the, that was such a, like I, I, I could feel the tears a little bit there because I, you know, what that's like to be recognized so yeah it's 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 a really powerful movie strangely it was so cool that it was it was set at halloween because then the nun could be out having a drink at this play at this bar with everyone dressed up and you yeah know, so that yeah. Was, reminds me of the time I, I once went to a swingers club on kirkwood this is one of those stories and uh, danced with uh, a, a guy dressed up as a nun. So I immediately, so sort of, it was Halloween. It was a Halloween uh, thing. Yeah. So the only time I've ever been in a swingers club, it was a really ridiculous experience. And, you know, it, it comes up in anecdotes every once in a It's good for, it's good for a drink at a bar. You know, you can talk about the time you went to a swingers club or whatever. But uh, Makes you a more interesting person, Amanda. Yeah, I, really. I, I dressed up as a nun too. One Halloween with my friend Jennifer, we dressed, we, we, we like, best one of my best friends from childhood and like you know we're both tall blonde lady you know like women and like we were 18 or 19 at the time I think we're 19 and like you know we went to a rock club and every every guy in the bar I was like what is happening like it would be fantastic I, I think well you know and, and and I've always okay this is now this is a sidebar but I've always enjoyed playing with lapsed Catholics myself but anyway that's a whole other thing yeah, this is obviously we have an eighteen and over uh, of podcast here. But <laughs> yeah, this is no, what I, I, <laughs> I, I, and well, and I think you know, growing up Catholic, I just I saw like I never like uh, you know to this day I still had I like all my life I had never seen my aunt's hair. She always wore her habit, right? She was a nun. I've I've had I have nuns in my family, and my grandmother became a nun after my grandfather passed away. So I have this sort of fascination oh. with them, but also they're mm-hmm. like just my family. So you know, and my mom really, um, you know, really said it for us when we were growing up is that, you know, she's your grandmother. Um, you can call her grandmother, you don't have to call her sister Mary, you know? Right. And so like, they were really just people to me, but right. it really yeah. struck me as that I'd never seen their hair, you know? So it was really sort of like this, like, she sees me for who I really am kind of taking off. Like it's this sort of like revealing of a person yeah. because of the uniforms we wear, the sort of homogenize us too right so there's also a little bit of political in there too right but that was that was also from the male from like a very heterosexual story as well whereas like it, it was sort of but that was retained in this other story so yeah no it's it's a great and again you there's so much packed into that uh, yeah I really admire what you what you've done and what the filmmakers uh, did with that and, and and I'm glad it got a lot of attention too it was really cool it's yeah just, 
see you shining with all this, you know, all of these glowing, uh, you know, uh, festival and reviews things. So that's great. Now you mentioned your script, Minerva's War, as well, and and as you said, it's been optioned. I wonder if you could talk about that at at all. Is it something you want to talk about? Yeah, so in 2014, back at the Lady Filmmakers Festival, I submitted that short script. It's about a woman who's dying and she's in a hospice and um, she thinks her son doesn't want to come to see her. And so she has a conversation with her younger self saying her younger self is like, no, he, like it's you that's standing in the way of this relationship. Like if you just open, like because you're, 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 you're stubborn, you're not going to allow this relationship to happen. So then at the end, it accumul- er, the culmination of the story is that um, he comes to see her and she sort of, she's allowed, she's freeing herself to kind of pass away. Right. So it's this like, um, I don't know even where I got the idea, like, again, it's like the exploration of death was very much in my mind after my mom passed away. But I think it was just like coming from a lot of different places. And then it actually, um, so I submitted it, it got selected for their, it got, I think it was a finalist. So it got selected for their script to screen from the lady filmmakers. And so they optioned it, the, they have a film production, a small film production company. So they optioned it, um, I think for a year. And then they were attempt, they were attempting to raise money for a couple of different pieces. And mine was just in the pot with the rest of them. And they made one and they think that they realized like they didn't have the funds to actually yeah. do these with like the reverence that they wanted to do. So they did one really, really well um, and sort of had always planned to do the other ones, but then it just didn't happen. So the rights reverted back to me. I still have it. Um, it may come pop up in my reel someday as something I make on my own, um, you know, because I think it was part of the script to screen that year in 2014. And I actually got to hear it uh, be read by professional actors in LA. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was as part of the festival. So that was cool. And you know, like they did a fantastic job and it was, I think somebody recorded it if I'm not mistaken, but like, it was just really, really great. It was just wow. nice to be included and nice to be, you know, have it. So yeah. That, that's interesting. Let, let's move back to Ottawa now from, from Hollywood. <laughs> we were there for a brief moment. Uh, can you talk about Ottawa's film community? What's it like, like uh, as from, from for those of us who are not involved in it? I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I've been involved since 2011, since like my first time in Digi60. So you know, it's it's a tight knit community. I think there's a lot of support for new and emerging people. Everybody wants to kind of help. Excuse me, help everybody get stuff made and wants to help people succeed. I think there's a lot of that. There's a couple of tiers, like there's the brand new filmmakers, there's sort of myself who are sort of past the new, but sort of burgeoning into like larger projects. And then there's like the established filmmakers. So there's a couple different tiers, like any other, you know, artistic thing in Ottawa. Um, so there's like a, a continuum of learning and, and growing and working with new people. There's also, um, you know, a professional film community here who does like the the larger film budgets, uh, larger films with larger film budgets in the, through the Ottawa Film Office. So there's that here as well. Um, but in terms of just the community, it's just, yeah. uh, it really, like, you know, over the years, felt like these smaller film festivals have kind of come and gone. But Digi60 has really kind of stuck around. And I was on, right. I, went, yeah. I went through Digi60 as a screenwriter, and then I made one short film through Digi60. Uh, and then I came back on their board and as a co-executive director with Emily Ramsey So for five years. So it was really, you know, giving back to the community, I'd sort of been a benefit of or had benefited from, right? So it was like giving back to the people and to the filmmakers and whatnot. So it was fun. Um, again, tight-knit community. Everybody pretty much probably knows each other uh, through some right. connection of some sort. Very much like the writing community, I find. Like it's very, very similar in terms of 
like totally different people, but very similar in terms of like their structures and how they kind of operate and stuff. Like there's usually a small film festival, like tree would have been back in the day and yeah, uh, just stuff, just stuff like that. So. Yeah. And, and so if, if you were going to recommend to someone who wanted to say, get into film in Ottawa and maybe how would they sort of go about, where would they go? Would they go say maybe through digit um, 60 or some yeah. other, is that the best way to kind of uh, start meeting people and learning about things and, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Digi60 is kind of where everybody, you know, uh, descends on twice a year. I think they haven't had their spring festival, but I know in the past years they've kept up with their fall festival, like vir virtually was last year. Um, so yeah, it really, it's, it's where all the filmmakers descend upon. And I think it, it kind of goes through, like, I think if you're kind of, you know, um, serious about your craft and you're getting in on the ground floor, so you're learning and you're building these things that maybe are are good, but they're not quite where you want to be. So you learn a little bit more and you build another film and then you build another and then you get an award and then maybe you've won best director, right? There's sort of this, like, there's almost like a trajectory through of people who are serious about where they're wanting to go. And you can kind of see it. You can kind of see the films that are extend out, right? So it's, it's not to say that new filmmakers can't break out as well. It's just, you can kind of see people progress through if they stick with it, they're, they're, their their skill level progresses through the years as well i've seen it over the five years that we were sort of watching all the films come in right so you can kind of see people's um pe people's making their way through what it means to be an artist in this in this environment and then you know you can kind of see people move on from here as well right so there's a lot of filmmakers now who had participated in digi 60 who are now doing bigger stuff or features or they're professional screenwriters or or whatnot so it's really you know, you're kind of seeing people launch their careers from from Digi60. Right. And also you mentioned Dark as well, which is another. Yeah. Yeah. Which is supporting Digi60 through their equipment rentals and right. their services and also a community place. Like there's a there's a great community space there where you can go yeah. and collaborate with other artists and filmmakers and whatnot. There are uh, video artists as well, there as well. So. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Sounds really exciting to me. Um, I guess, too. Um, I mean, I, I really I, I meant to look this up, but of course I forgot. Does Algonquin have some kind of filmmaking courses or anything like that? Screenwriting and things like that? I they do. Yeah. They have a one-year post-diploma uh, post, uh, post script, script writing program. They also have a new filmmaking program, from my understanding. I think it started last year or the year before. It's a, I think it's a full semester. I don't know how many years it is, maybe two or three. And then they have the TV and broadcast, which is what people had traditionally gone through before when there was no okay, filmmaking yeah. course there. But now there's a there's a full fledged filmmaking course there, and that was to support the industry here because there was no yeah. you know, collegial level training ground here. It was mostly just piecemeal together. When the when the Canadian Screen Training Center used to run here mm -hmm. every summer in June ish yeah. timeframe, that was where everybody descended, and that was from across the country. You get like. 600 people from across the country all descending on Ottawa with all of these fantastic Canadian filmmakers for like five days. Right. But that went defunct in 2009. And then Digi60 kind of picked up the slack for a few years, but I think it's like, there's like a sense of building more. I think Digi60 really is keeping the fire lit, <laughs> the home fire burning, you know? And so I think they're doing more and dark is coming online with different stuff. I've has always been there with courses and they're doing bigger stuff now that they've rebranded and getting into the new space and, um, yeah, so there's just lots of opportunities to get involved. Sounds sounds really interesting. And what about you? What are you are you currently working on any any film related things at the moment? And what? yeah, so I'm working on TV pilots, a couple of TV pilots right now. Film wise, I'm working on a short. I've also got 
a series of shorts by women creators too that I had part, kind of put on the back burner um, pre or just around when COVID hit. I sort of planned on uh, producing some some longer pieces. Uh, it just didn't happen. COVID hit, and then who knew what was going to happen when and when we could get back to production. So I sort of I sort of put it on the back burner. It's there. I can go back to it at some point. Um, but it's just not the it's not the burning priority with COVID stuff. So I'm trying to trying to keep the creative juices flowing by making another you know short film. So you're you're pretty busy with with uh, that stuff as well. It's just general other stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. And then working with a manager in Los Angeles too for the TV stuff. So we're trying to okay. we're trying to break a few TV pilots and get some TV pitches together. So yeah, that must be a different experience too, right? Yeah for tv i mean there's there's right now there's such a such a hunger for uh streaming content right i mean god i know like charles and i must watch we we, we watch hours and hours of we're currently watching we're obsessed by this australian uh reality uh home renovation show that's just <laughs> called the block and it's it's it started in like 2006 or something but then they went off on a break for a while and they came back and and it's, 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 it's really sort of obs- like we'll binge watch that. Basically we'll watch that in the morning before he goes to work and stuff like that. So, Cause otherwise you have to watch the news and I can't take it. I can't take it anymore. I, I, I you know, we used to watch the news in the morning and when yeah. we watched it, I couldn't get out of bed after like that was yeah. it. I, I was in bed for the rest of the morning. I just couldn't, it's just so hard. Dire right now. Yeah. It's very dire. And so look, I think there's such a hunger for anything that's sort of and creatively like there's so many great shows out there and um yeah well I'd be interested to to, to follow up on that at some point we'll we'll find out how that process is and how that's going with pitches any other things you'd like to discuss while we're while I have you I think you top me out uh no like it's covered <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground um yeah. but I really appreciate you uh and all of this like I think meeting you back in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, probably time frame, like whenever you started to come to tree, right? So like, yeah, would have been so much of a tree, but like being involved, like, and again, I think that's like, I, it goes back to like the 90s, right, where I got involved in art, like, I really feel like I was sort of walking down this path of like, very, you know, linear minded business and technology. I was in school, I was going back to school for technology, I'd sort of worked, I'd worked at Wallex for a few years being amongst artists, crazy artists, you know, and like, just, you know, mm-hmm. being in a group of, and, you know, participating in like Gallery 101 and participating in at SOD, going to SOD events and stuff. So I had sort of been skirting around it a long time. And I think I had really been like, um, you know, not pretending, I'm not going to say that, but sort of like not courageous enough to do it. And so I was taking courses at SAW and I was doing this and I was doing it, but I was also back in school and, you know, working part-time. And I think it was really when I took on, tree with James when it was James and Daryl and I way back in the day um you know that was really where you know being immersed in talented writers twice a month (laughs) you know like you know getting me getting to meet like these giants of the Canadian lit scene right and just like in this intimate setting and getting to hear their talks and their work and they hang out with them at the writers festival and like knowing Rob and knowing like just all of that stuff I just think it it just built this artistic quality in my life that I knew I wanted to always pursue. And then when I found that book, I think that's when it all kind of went, ding, 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 you know, like oh, the light kind of came on and it was all like, ha ah, this is what I have to do, you know? So I think it, it was just a gradual building. I remember the first time I read a tree 
Oh, um, it was a poem. It was like this, it was my sex at 31 poem, I think based on Rob's uh, yeah. series. And I think everybody just kind of went, what? <laughs> like You've been writing. You're like the organizer. You just hear the quiet mouse in the corner. What are you talking yeah. about? Like, and so I think that that's also like, and it was right around the time where I, I think I was, we were transitioning out of tree too. Right. Like, I think it was like 2000, it was right around 2000, probably 2005 when we were building the book and James and I were doing the book and stuff. So it was like right towards the end, I was sort of like building my, you know, my, my level of comfort to kind of present myself as an artist, you know? So, and then I found the book. So, and then it was all, it was all downhill from there. No kidding. So, all, all, uphill, all, uphill from there. all uphill from there. I yeah. remember like my first, my first ever uh, reading of any of my work was at tree as well. Yeah. And it was, it was in the basement of the Royal Oak. Yeah, James were there, and I was reading as part of the uh, the um, English um, creative writing class with Seymour Main. We were launching oh, our gosh. our chapbook Abyssidarian. So I think yeah, that was, yeah. I believe that was my first reading. Uh, it would have been probably March of two thousand one. I had just met Charles, oh, wow. and yeah. we were we were. Um, I had basically he was coming with me to these events right from the beginning. He came with me, and he'd never you know gone to a poetry reading before. I don't think. And, and I hadn't really gone to that many myself. So that was a long time ago. Wow. That's, that's like, uh, that's, that's 20 years ago. That's uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, so James and James worked at the comic book shop, how James and I met, he worked at the comic book shop and I worked at Wallach. So we, I'd go in there on my lunch to visit my friend Ralph, who worked at the comic book shop. And so James and I struck up this thing and then he was like, well, we, I'm taking over this reading series and we need somebody to look after like, you know, pass the hat when it comes around every week. Yeah. So it's just funny how it all connects, you know? I know. And James actually was really helpful. James Moran, a shout out. I'll make sure to link you. But uh, when 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 uh, Charles and I were taking over Bywords, I came to him and, and a few other people locally. And I asked him, how do we do this City of Ottawa grant? What are we supposed to do with this? And he he walked me through it. He kept me calm. And, and we I was able to, <laughs> I was petrified of the idea of having to apply for a grant at that time especially so yeah and, and we've been fortunate uh, bywords.ca we've received money from the city every year since since we started in 2003 so uh, wow congratulations so that's really awesome yeah. well so far i mean all being well you know you never know right but uh, thanks yeah so um yeah so a lot of people from those early days have have been you know helped helped me so much and i think that's one of the reasons why i feel um it's important to give back to the community as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think like these intersections, like I think I've spent like a lot, I, I volunteered at the theater group, uh, yeah. Odyssey Theater when I was like 18 or 19, doing Digi60 curating festivals. Like I feel like I've, and then doing tree reading series. I feel like I've jumped around a couple of different ones now. And uh, you know, Ottawa is a small city, you know, and, and we're more like a big town and like everybody kind of knows everybody. And like, I feel like, there's, there are opportunities to intersect between the arts. And I think that like DARC, which is the Digital Artist Resource Center, I think that that's a real place where people can congregate and they have that outdoor patio now and they have like, they're just set up to be the community hub, you know? And I think that, I think a lot of different disciplines kind of congregate on arts court in terms of like their 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 central location. So I think yeah, it's really great. It's a good place. I, I haven't been in a long time, but uh, pre-pandemic days, but uh, yeah. I'll get yeah. back there again someday. I'm still mostly a, I'm still mostly virtual in these days. Uh, yeah, so. I know. I'm venturing out very, very, uh, very like little bits here and there, but not too much. So, same here. So this is it. Well, thanks uh, for being on the show. So, thank and, you. Uh, 
it's been great having you. Thanks to everyone for listening and sharing the episode. To Charles for processing. Stay tuned for future episodes with Conchetta Principe, Barry Tullett, Christine Snodgrass, Mia Morgan and Stephanie Malosh, the editors of Coven Editions. And that will uh, mostly wrap up uh, 2021. So uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.